بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله so then to carry on with this course we began the last time the course that is looking at the six pillars of iman we began last time then with the opening session where we discussed the narration about jibril alayhi salam the angel gabriel when he came to the prophet muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam that story we spoke about last time today then we move on still within the first pillar of Iman in Allah in now breaking down the different aspects of Iman in Allah. When we speak about Iman in Allah, belief in Allah, then essentially you can break that down into three aspects. Those three aspects of belief in Allah are well known and heard by the people before. In Arabic they are known as what? No, just the aspects of belief in Allah is basically the categories of Tawheed, Ar-Rububiyyah, so these are the three components of our belief in Allah. The first component being al-rububiyyah, which means the lordship of Allah. What do we mean by the lordship of Allah? It is ifradullahi bi'af'alihi to single out Allah in His actions. There are certain things only Allah can do. Nobody else whatsoever has any share in them, has any participation in them, has any aid to Allah in them whatsoever. Certain things are unique to Allah, only Allah does them, nobody else can. For example, creation. Allah created the heavens and the earth, created everything that exists. He alone created all of that. Nobody else aided or helped or participated in the creation of all of that which exists. That is an action specific to Allah, negated from all others besides Allah. The act of giving life and death, that is an act that is specific to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nobody else can give life and death 
Nobody else has any participation in that act. That is something unique to Allah. Also, the act of controlling all of the universe and everything that happens within it. That is again an action specific to Allah. Allah is the one who controls all of the universe. Allah is the one alone who controls everything that occurs within this universe. Nobody else has a say, any participation, any ability in controlling the universe and what happens in it. That is an action specific to Allah again. For example also, the sustenance that the creation have, the food and the drink the humans have, the food and the drink the animals have, all of these provisions, all of this sustenance, this food, this drink, all of that is from Allah alone. Nobody else provides for you. Nobody else has that in their control. So you see, there are certain actions, certain acts that are specific to Allah. Nobody else can do them. Nobody else has any control over them. Nobody else aided Allah in them. They are acts that are specified. To Allah alone, negated from all others besides Allah. That is the meaning of the Lordship of Allah. The Rububiyyah, known as in Arabic. The Lordship of Allah, you affirm the Lordship of Allah. Your Iman, your faith, your belief in Allah has this first component the Lordship, your belief in the Lordship of Allah. And that is that you acknowledge and you believe that there are these actions that are specific to Allah. He is the only creator, the only provider, the only sustainer, the only one who gives life and death, who controls the universe. You single out Allah with His actions. That is from the basis of monotheism, from the basis of tawheed, from the basis of your belief in Allah. A person who does not believe in that, believes that there are multiple entities that created this world. There are multiple entities that give life and death then that person has not understood the reality of belief in Allah, has not understood the reality of iman in Allah, faith and belief in Allah. So that is your first component of belief in Allah, the component regarding the Lordship of Allah that you specify and single out Allah with those actions that only He does and nobody else can do. The second component 
of your belief in Allah is what is known as in Arabic as Al-Uluhiyyah. And that is the worship of Allah. The first component was about the actions of Allah. That you single out Allah in those actions that are specific to Allah. Creation, life, death, everything. The second component we're on now is about whose actions this time? Our actions this time. Ifradullahi bi af'al al-ibad. Singling out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with our actions now too. In the first component, it was singling out Allah with His actions. He is the only one who creates and provides and sustains and gives life and death. In this component, this one now, the second one, it is singling out Allah with our actions. How so? Meaning that all of the deeds we do, all of the worship we do, whether it is worship in our hearts, worship upon our tongues, worship upon our limbs, every aspect, every type of worship we do, then we single that out purely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we do not dedicate or direct any of our worship to others besides Allah. Every act of worship must be purely specified to Allah. Your worship is to your Lord and to your Lord alone. Not to anyone else in creation. Not to anybody dead in their graves. Not to anything else in existence. Purely to Allah alone. So the second component of your belief in Allah is that you will single out your worship purely for Allah alone. And that is exactly what Allah commanded us to do in the Qur'an. Allah told us, for example, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ That I did not create the jinn or the humans except for them to worship me. Allah told us in the Qur'an, He created us in order for us to worship Him. And the Salaf, they used to say, إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ It means, إِلَّا لِيُوَحِّدُونَ That Allah created us to worship Him upon Tawheed, to single Him out with every aspect of our worship. Our trust is in Allah, our dependence is in Allah, our supplication and prayer is for Allah, every act of worship for Him alone. And in fact, every prophet and messenger that ever came throughout history, from the very first of them, Noah, Nuh alayhi salam, And then the others who came, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, 
Ibrahim alayhisalam, Musa alayhisalam, Isa alayhisalam, to the last of them, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they all came with that exact same message, to worship your Lord alone. Single out Allah with your worship and your prayer alone. Nobody else is deserving of worship. That was the message of every prophet and messenger. Allah told us in the Quran, وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةِ الرَّسُولَ أَنِ اعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ وَاشْتَنِبُوا الطَّاغُوتِ That indeed we sent to every nation a messenger preaching, worship your Lord alone and stay away from the false deities. In other ayat, the prophets, they used to say to their people, Ya qawmi Allah, ma lakum min ilahin ghayruh. O people, worship Allah. You do not have anyone else to worship besides Him. And Allah told us in the Quran, وَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ وَلَا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا Worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Upon Tawheed, Him alone, and do not associate any partners to Him. The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to Mu'adh ibn Jabal, أَتَدْرِي مَا حَقُّ اللَّهِ عَلَى الْعِبَادِ وَمَا حَقُّ الْعِبَادِ عَلَى اللَّهِ Do you know what the right of Allah is upon his servants, and what the right of the servants is upon Allah. He said, Allah and his messenger know best. So then the messenger وسلم, told him, العباد, The right of Allah upon his servants, is that they worship Him alone, and do not commit any shirk alongside that. Do not associate any partners to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the other narration also, when He was being sent to Yemen, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told him, إِنَّكَ تَأْتِي قَوْمًا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ You are going to come to a people of the book. فَلْيَكُنَ أَوَّلَ مَا تَدْعُوهُمْ إِلَيْهِ شَهَادَةٌ وَلَّا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ So make sure the first thing you call them to, the Jews and the Christians who they were going to go to and tell them about Islam, the Prophet told them the first thing you tell them, is that only Allah has the right to be worshipped alone. No one else has the right to be worshipped besides Allah. He is the only one deserving of worship in truth. Then the Prophet told him if they accept that, you can tell them about the prayer and the zakat and the remainder of the affairs. So that is the second component. The component of al-uluhiyyah which means to single out every aspect of your worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Affirm your worship to Allah, do it to Allah. 
negated from all others besides Allah. And that is the meaning of La ilaha illallah. The third component, which is the component of Al Asma'u wa Sifat, the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the third component of your belief in Allah. The first component was to believe in the Lordship of Allah. And that is to single out Allah with His actions. The action of creation, life, death, control of the universe, etc. The second part of your belief in Allah then, is that you will single out Allah with your own actions. You will worship Him alone. The third aspect of your belief in Allah is Al-Asma'u Wa-Sifat, the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because we know that Allah has many names that He has mentioned to us, some of them in the Qur'an, in the Sunnah. And Allah has many attributes mentioned to us in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. We believe that Allah has the most perfect and beautiful of names and attributes. As Allah told us in the Qur'an, وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى فَدْعُوهُ بِهَا And indeed to Allah are the most beautiful and perfect of names. So call upon Him with them. Allah has the most perfect and beautiful at the pinnacle of perfection and beauty, the names and attributes. So we affirm those names to Allah. We affirm all of the beautiful names of Allah. We affirm the attributes of Allah. And some of the examples of that, for example, in Surah Al-Fatiha, where you read Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Two of the names of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala And just like that throughout the Qur'an You come across the various names of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala What is the proof for these three components of your belief in Allah. If a person was to say to you, now you've explained to me the belief in Allah, that it comprises of these three components, belief in Allah, in the Lordship of Allah, belief in Allah, in your worship to Him, and belief in Allah regarding His beautiful and perfect names and attributes. What is the proof that this is the belief in Allah a Muslim is supposed to have? Then you say to them what? Mm-hmm. So these aspects of belief, these categories of tawheed, 
they are derived directly from the Qur'an itself. It is not something that was thought up by anybody. It is not something that was invented. These aspects of belief are what Allah has told us in the Qur'an. So, where in the Qur'an? Everywhere in the Qur'an. But if you want to remember an easy example, then remember that these aspects of belief can be found at the very opening of the Qur'an and the very end of the Qur'an. Two easy examples to remember. In the opening of the Qur'an, Al-Fatiha. In Surah Al-Fatiha, you will find all three aspects of belief that we have been mentioning. So when you read, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, this ayah, it has within it, which aspect of the belief in Allah? You could mention the example of Ar-Rububiyyah. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Ar-Rabb, this indicates Ar-Rububiyyah. Then, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Names and attributes of Allah. Al-Asma' wa-Sifat. Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Maliki Yawmiddin. Again, you could say, names and attributes. Iyyaka na'abudu wa iyyaka nasta'een. Al-Uluhiyya. You alone we worship. And you alone we seek aid and assistance from. So you see, right at the beginning of the Qur'an, Surah Al-Fatiha, you have these three aspects of belief right there. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen indicates the Lordship of Allah. He is the Rabb of everything. He is the creator, the sustainer, the provider, the one who gives life and death, the one who controls. He is the Rabb of Al-Alameen, of everything in existence. Ar-Rububiyya, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, names and attributes of Allah. Two of the beautiful names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ You alone, we worship and you alone, we seek aid and assistance from. Then that indicates the al-uluhiyyah, singling out your worship to Allah alone. Then you can also give them the example from the end of the Qur'an. Easy way to remember the beginning and the end. The end of the Qur'an. قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ Say that I seek refuge, ask for protection in رَبِّ النَّاسِ The Rabb of all of the people indicating the Lordship of Allah. قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ مَلِكِ النَّاسِ مَلِكِ النَّاسِ Can indicate 
Al-Asma'u wa-Sifat. The names and attributes, Malik. And then, Ilahinnas, indicating Al-Uluhiyya, Al-Ilah, Yani Al-Ma'luh, Al-Ma'bud, singling out Allah with your worship. So you have all three categories of Tawheed there too. So that is an easy example to remember from the beginning and from the end of the Mus'haf. The disbelievers at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, they used to testify to one of these categories in particular and maybe more. But in particular, there was never really an issue with which aspect. الربوبيه كانوا يقرون بان الله هو الخالق المالك الرازق that he is the one who creates and provides and sustains المحي المميت the one who gives life the one who gives death المدبر the one who controls all of the affairs the مشركون the kuffar the disbelievers the ones whom the Prophet fought against them, they used to believe in the Lordship of Allah, which was component number one that we mentioned. Component number one that we spoke about. Those kuffar used to acknowledge it. They used to believe in it. That was not something they made an issue of. So they believed that Allah is the creator, Allah is the provider, Allah is the sustainer, Allah is the one who gives life and death and controls the universe. Lakin, with all of that belief, لَمْ يُدْخِلْهُمْ ذَلِكَ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ all of that belief of theirs did not enter them into Islam. So a person could believe in the first component and that would not be enough to determine or to uh, declare him to be a Muslim. Believing in the first component of belief in Allah is not sufficient to declare a person a Muslim. Believing that Allah is the creator, the provider, the sustainer, the one who controls. That alone is not enough for a person to enter into Islam. Because the kuffar, the mushrikun, at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, they used to affirm that. They used to believe that. But still the Prophet ﷺ fought against them. Because that belief is not enough to make a person Muslim. Rather what is required, belief in all of the components we mentioned, all three of the components, belief in all of them is required. It is not possible for a person to say, he believes in the first component of the Rububiyyah, but he rejects the uluhiyya and al-asma'u wa-sifat, then that individual is not a Muslim. So this is what we had at the time of the mushrikeen. 
They affirmed the rububiyyah, the lordship of Allah. But they were not Muslims because they did not affirm al-uluhiyyah, the second component in particular. They did not single out their worship purely for Allah. Rather they would divide their ibadah, their worship between Allah and their other so-called deities. وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَتَّخِذُ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ أَنْدَادًا يُحِبُّونَهُمْ كَحُبِّ اللَّهِ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَشَدُّ حُبًّا لِلَّهِ And there are those who take partners alongside Allah and they love them as they love Allah. Meaning they split their worship between Allah and these other so-called deities. As for the believers, then their love for Allah is pure. The believers have a pure love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Their worship is pure for Allah, sincere. Whereas the mushrikeen split their worship between Allah and these other deities, calling upon others besides Allah, praying to others besides Allah, and saying, مَا نَعْبُدُهُمْ إِلَّا لِيُقَرِّبُونَا إِلَى اللَّهِ That we do not worship them except for them to bring us closer to Allah. هَأُولَاءِ شُفَعَاءُنَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ They would say these are our intercessors between us and Allah. So they took partners alongside Allah. They split their worship to these other deities alongside Allah. And so they did not actualize the second component of Al-Uluhiyyah. What is now the relationship between Al-Rububiyyah and Al-Uluhiyyah? What is the relationship between the Lordship of Allah and the worship of Allah? Ar-Rububiyyah Tastalzimu al-Uluhiyyah The Lordship of Allah Ar-Rububiyyah If you affirm that Allah is the sole creator, provider, sustainer, giver of life and death, controller of the universe, then it necessitates, that is the relationship, it necessitates from you that you perform and actualize an uluhiyya, that you therefore single out all of your worship to Allah alone, Because if you affirm and you believe that Allah is the only creator, nobody else. Allah is the provider and sustainer for us, nobody else. Allah is the creator, the one giving life and death, nobody else. Allah is the controller of the whole universe, nobody else. You believe all of that, 
then who should you be worshipping only? Allah. It necessitates from you that you should be worshipping Allah alone. Otherwise, how can you say you believe it is only Allah who created us, provides for us, gives life and death, controls everything? Only Allah. But he's gonna go and worship somebody else besides Allah, who he acknowledges didn't create and doesn't provide and doesn't control. How can that make sense? How can you affirm that it is only Allah with this Lordship, but then go and worship others who you know do not have this Lordship? Therefore, affirmation of the Rububiyyah, affirmation of the Lordship of Allah, it necessitates from you that you then worship Allah alone. And that is the evidence that was established against the mushrikeen. The evidence that was established against the disbelievers. Because they affirmed the lordship of Allah. They believed Allah is the creator, the provider, the sustainer. But they didn't single out their worship to him. And so Allah mentioned that in the Qur'an, that he is the one with rububiyyah, to emphasize that evidence against them, that you affirm the rububiyyah, which necessitates from you al-uluhiyyah, but you're not doing it. You're affirming only Allah is the creator, but you're worshipping something else you know isn't the creator. You're affirming Allah is the one who gives life and death alone, yet you're worshipping something you know doesn't give life and death. You're affirming Allah is the only one who provides for us, but you're worshipping others you know do not provide for us. That cannot make sense. That is a refutation upon the ones who do that. So, ar-rububiyyah, it necessitates from you that you be upon al-uluhiyyah. And the other way around, what is the relationship of al-uluhiyyah with ar-rububiyyah? Al-Uluhiyya tatadhamman al-Rububiyya At-tadhamman That a person who singles out his worship to Allah alone Al-Uluhiyya Then that must mean it incorporates The fact that he has accepted and believes in Al-Rububiyya That is why he is performing Al-Uluhiyya he is singling out his worship to Allah alone due to his acceptance of the Lordship of Allah. So Al-Uluhiyya, it is inclusive of Al-Rububiyyah. Then the next section of the workbook mentions how many names does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have? So, Somebody then, how many names does Allah have? So your answer is that Allah has told us about 99, but there are actually more. So your answer is, we actually even know more than 99 already. But that Allah has even more that we don't actually know a figure for. 
Anybody else? A hundred? Ninety-nine is what we know, so you want to back up the first opinion that came. <laughs> so, the scholars have quoted the hadith quite often, which many people will have come across. Inna lillahi tis'atan wa tis'een isma. Man ahsaha dakhala al-jannah. That indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has 99 names. Whomsoever learns them, memorizes them, acts upon them, will enter paradise. Hadith which is in Al-Bukhari. So now that hadith would seem to indicate that Allah has only 99 names. Indeed Allah has 99 names it says. Whoever learns them, memorizes them, acts upon them, he will enter paradise. That hadith in Bukhari. However, the hadith does not mean that Allah only has 99 names. It does not indicate restriction. It does not indicate restriction. Rather, as the scholars mention with an example, they say if a person came in now, for example, to the mosque, and he says, who's in charge here? I've got a hundred pounds in my pocket I've brought to give as a donation to the mosque. He says, I've got a hundred pounds in my pocket, I've got it here to give it as a donation to the mosque, who do I give it to, this hundred pounds that I have? So now, how much money does this person have? So he's got a hundred for a purpose, and that purpose is donation to the mosque. How much money does that person have as a total in his life though? Who knows? Maybe he has a million pounds saved up otherwise. Who knows how much he's got otherwise? All he's told us is, I've got a hundred on me right now in my pocket, which I have got ready to give for charity to the mosque, who do I give it to? That does not in any way indicate that his whole life savings are just that 100 pounds in his pocket. Doesn't indicate that at all. Nobody is going to understand from his statement that if he gives that 100 pounds, he's now penniless on the street. With nothing else at all. Nobody understands that. We understand he's got a hundred for a purpose. Donation to the mosque. How much does he have besides that himself? Who knows? A million, ten million, billionaire. Who knows? The same meaning with this hadith. Allah is saying 99 names. Memorize that many. Understand that many practice the meanings and implement that many, that amount will enter you into paradise. How many does Allah actually have though altogether? Who knows? The hadith isn't saying Allah only has 99 names. It's saying 99 for this purpose being specified. 
that whomsoever learns them, memorizes them, acts upon them, paradise. 99 is sufficient for that promise. How many does Allah have altogether though? Who knows? There are evidences to clearly highlight that Allah has more than 99. Those evidences, for example, Hadith of Ash-Shafa'ah. On the day of judgment, the Prophet wasallam, when he makes the Shafa'ah, the intercession, he says, فَيُفْتَحُ عَلَيَّ بِمَحَامِدْ لَمْ أَكُنْ أَعْرِفْهَا مِنْ قَبْلِ that on that day, forms of praise upon Allah will be opened up to me, known to me, that I did not know before. Forms of praise upon Allah from more names of Allah that we did not know before. Another evidence, the dua at the times of grief, إِنِّي أَسْأَلُكَ بِكُلِّ اسْمٍ هُوَ لَكَ I ask you by every name that you have, and then it goes through the variations until it comes to the end. And by the names that you have kept in the knowledge of the unseen with yourself. So there are names that Allah has kept in the knowledge of the unseen from us. Therefore, Certainly, there are more names of Allah we do not yet know of. Therefore, the number is impossible for us to define. We don't know how many more there are that Allah has kept in the knowledge of the unseen from us. It can also be mentioned that right now, scholars have said we do know more than 99. That in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, there are more than 99 to be found. And some of the scholars of the past who investigated, actually did come to figures of more than 99. Some of them found 130 odd. Some of them 120 odd they managed. Some of them found 110 odd. But scholars of the past have analyzed the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and found more than 99 names for Allah. There is one other point to mention, and that is that there is a hadith very similar to the one that we quoted, that indeed Allah has 99 names, whoever learns them, memorizes them, acts upon them, will enter paradise, and they are... And then the hadith itself lists out 99 names. In the hadith itself, this other version of it, it lists out the 99 names in it. And perhaps that's where you get these posters and these decoration frames uh, and all of these types of things that are not suitable and appropriate in the first place. This is not decoration. The names of Allah are not for decoration purposes. They are for learning and memorizing and acting upon. But maybe that is the narration some of them use to make these posters and decoration pieces. So what do we do about this hadith? It's listing out 99 names in the hadith. It doesn't negate other names, but what if somebody says, well, that's at least a proof that we only know 99. They're right there in the hadith. 
Scholars have mentioned this particular version of the narration with the names listed out is weak. The authentic narration in Al-Bukhari is the one that only mentions indeed Allah has 99 names. Whoever learns, memorizes, acts upon them will enter paradise. Full stop. Does not go beyond that into saying and those names are and listing them out. The version of the hadith that does that isn't in Bukhari, it's in other places. At-Tirmidhi and the Mustadrak of Al-Hakim, etc. And the scholars have mentioned within it is an issue in the chain of narration. Al-Walid ibn Muslim and Tadlis, etc. So therefore, that narration with the names listed out is not authentic. But the other narration in Bukhari is, but the meaning of it is not restriction. So the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we know more than 99 already, as some of the scholars have mentioned. And there are a lot more that we do not know of uh, that Allah has kept in the knowledge of the unseen. Question says on the workbook, Pharaoh, at the time of Moses, at the time of Musa alayhi salam, did he reject the existence of Allah. Apparently, he did. But in reality, he did not. In reality, he affirmed and knew. In reality, Pharaoh at the time of Moses knew of the existence of Allah, the creator, the provider, the sustainer. But apparently from his arrogance and haughtiness, he was demonstrating, who is this Lord of yours? Where is this Lord of yours? But inside and deep down, he knew. And your homework for this week is going to be to find the proof in the Quran that Pharaoh knew and was certain Regarding Allah, evidence in the Quran bring it to us that Pharaoh affirmed the existence and knew that. Everybody can participate, sisters can participate, bring their answers, send them on the notes next week or in the next session and you have plenty of time. You have four weeks and two weeks time is going to be the Birmingham conference. That's right, huh? It's going to fall on this weekend. In two weeks time, where we would have had the next session, is going to be the Birmingham conference. So of course that will be cancelled here. It will therefore be four weeks. So everybody should be able to do that homework. Four weeks to find a single ayah of the Quran. In four weeks you can read the whole Quran. Read a section every day. Keep reading until you come to the ayah. That proves the homework, what we've just said. And that is the way the scholars used to do things in the olden days. Not with the Qur'an, with the Qur'an they were hifaf, but with the sunnah. If it was said to them, find the hadith that proves X, Y, and Z, how would they do it in those days? There was no Google in those days. There was no indexes, there was no books with contents pages, go to this chapter, that chapter, this hadith is here, this hadith is there. What did they used to do? Sit down, 
open the book on the first page and start reading. Start reading page after page after page after page until finally they come to the hadith. Found it. Maybe on page 764. And that is how they used to do it and that is why one of the reasons the scholars of the past had what they had of knowledge. That is how they used to do their research. That is how they used to do their studying and analysis. You need to find a hadith in the olden days. You sit down and you start reading the book from the first page until you come to the hadith wherever it is in that book. One of our teachers in Medina mentioned to us too. One time he was looking for a hadith in a book that was three volumes big. The book was three volumes big, each volume three, four hundred pages. A thousand pages. He said, I knew the hadith was in there somewhere. But where, who knows? He said, I began, read the pages, one after the next, reading, reading, reading. Finished the first volume, nothing. Started the second volume, reading, 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 finished it, nothing. Got to the third one, reading, reading, reading. And there it comes, the hadith he was looking for. He said, I jumped up in joy and shouted out until my wife got afraid. She said, what happened? What's wrong? Everything okay? And then he explained, it's okay, it's fine. It's just something that I have found that I was looking for for a long time. This is the difference between the scholars of old and the students of today. Students of today, everything with the the, the Googles and the search engines, no research, no reading, no nothing. That is why you see as one of the elements behind the weakness that has occurred. That's why the scholars, they say, never rely on electronic devices for research and analysis. Al-Maktaba al-Shamila, for example. Do not rely on that. That, they used to tell us, you can use it just to help you along with research. You're looking for a particular hadith, you can't sit there and read all 10 books of hadith. You don't know where it is. You can't sit there and read the whole of Bukhari, the whole of Muslim, whole Ibn Majah, Tirmidhi, till you find it. So Al-Maktab al do a search, it'll tell you, it's in Ibn Majah. So then you can go to Ibn Majah, narrow down your search and look at the explanations. But you don't use that as your be-all and end-all, as they say. That is only a guide. Electronic devices are only a guide to cut some time out for you, help you and tell you it's in this book, it's in that book. So then you can go to that book and read. Don't just take it off that. Electronic resources, unless they are photocopied, are often full of mistakes anyway. So that is one of the causes of the weakness these days, that everybody relies on the electronic resources instead of the actual books. So your homework is to find the evidence that Pharaoh believed in Allah. The next section of the workbook here says, Where is Allah? Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Where is Allah? Subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is? Allah is above the creation, separate and distinct from the creation. Just like in the hadith of the Jariyah, 
That slave girl who was asked, where is Allah? She said, above the heavens. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above, above all of the creation, above the seven heavens, above everything that exists, separate and distinct. Separate and distinct from His creation. Not like some of the mystical people who say that Allah, Allah is in amongst us all. We are one entity intertwined. Allah and the creation, we are one. We are all one. One spirit of the Lord and the creation. That is the mystical people upon their mistasasi or whatever the word is. I'm sure that's not a word. <laughs> but those types of people, they have an error, a great error, in believing that Allah is in the creation, intertwined with us. Wahdatul wujud. Rather, Allah is above the creation, separate and distinct from this creation, above His throne, and the throne is the ceiling of all of the creation. That is proven in multiple ayat and hadith, multiple narrations, multiple texts. One of those easiest ones like we mentioned there, at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, that girl was asked, where is Allah? And she said, above, above the heavens. She did not say everywhere. She said above, and the Prophet ﷺ affirmed and said, She is a mu'mina, she is a believer. Affirming her belief that Allah is above. What's the last question on that cheat? What do we know about the throne of Allah? What do we know about the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? You have four weeks, and therefore, this can be your second homework. Because this one isn't going to be an easy Google. The first one is a very easy Google. This one is not. Your second homework for four weeks time, inshallah, is who can bring us a paragraph of referenced information Regarding the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is a lecture that was done once on exactly that title, the throne of Allah. A full lecture. But even if you find that lecture, it's going to take from you to sit down for 60 minutes, listen to it all, make your notes from it, and then bring us the summary of those notes in four weeks time. This is something important for everybody to participate in. This is how knowledge is. This is how it is conducted. So we'll conclude upon that point for today then. And the time for the prayer has arrived. Anything to add very quickly if anybody has?
Andrei Ersk, only dictionary into the person to the big lamp or need No, but in the hadith as well, there was another question too. In the hadith, there was another question too. And the other question was, Who am I? She affirmed the Prophet Muhammad That was an indication of her affirmation her affirmation of the Prophet Muhammad being the Messenger of Allah was an affirmation of her testimony, Ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. And that is therefore an affirmation of your basic entrance into Islam. She was affirming her shahadatain basically. That is why it was determined, and at the basic level it can be said she is a believer. Hmm. He does have more than 99. Allah does have more than 99, definitely. Definitely more than 99. How many exactly? We don't know. But definitely more. It's not just 99. Anything else? So, everybody revised the two sessions we've done so far. Explanation is clear. Clear, everybody can understand. Revise it, go over it, come together in groups and revise it, go over the questions together. 
And inshallah ta'ala, we'll continue then in four weeks' time. It'll now be after the conference. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.